1: Good morning. This is Talking Devils, your favourite Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, joined by Manchester United legend Paul Parker to talk over a very diff- difficult week at Manchester United. I think I can officially say as well your favourite Manchester United podcasters. For most of this season, we've been um, the, the top independent rated um, United podcast on Apple Podcasts. So thank you so much for your support on that. Um, the one positive to come out of this hellhole of a season so far for us. Anyway, personal, personally, um, yeah, let, let's um, get straight into it. If you're watching on the YouTube, please like and subscribe. You can also, if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook as well, feel free to get your questions in and we'll try and get to them as we um, go along. We did have a few technical issues. Uh, sorry for being a little bit late, but hopefully everything will be fine throughout the show. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, if you're listening back on an audio platform, subscribe. Um, give us a nice rating or review on, on whatever you're listening on as well. All um, right, Paul. So, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer demanded the response of a wounded animal against Watford. And I suppose you might say that that's what he got, although a mortally wounded deer that was put out of its misery. Yeah. Um, well, I guess we'll get to the game in due course, but we've got to start with the big news that the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign is over. Um, and it had to be, really, didn't it? I, I don't know. if like we've talked about this for a couple of weeks, and after a performance like that and a result like that, was pretty much impossible for him to continue.
0: Yeah, he knew it. I mean, he knew it. I mean, I'm sure he's known within himself, and there was always that little bit of hope that something could happen. But uh, it was always going to be a short-term thing, which I thought he'd, he, he knew himself that over a long period, he, he was never going to get to near where the club should be. And I think when he, his heart was telling that, because his heart was always in the club as well, and that made it even more difficult for him. And, and somewhere along the line, he needed to be put out of his misery because he wasn't enjoying, he just wasn't enjoying what he's doing. And I'm a firm believer, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're going to be letting not only yourself down, you'll be letting other people down and and people sense that. They feel it. Players yeah. feel it. They know when you're trying to convince them to give everything and what it means to you and you know, you're, do, you're doing your job properly. And in theory, you're not because your mind isn't there. Your mind is just worried about winning and then winning really in a fashion that fits Manchester United in it. It wasn't happening. The performances were never there. There was no great belief, I don't think, in anybody going into games that they were Manchester United, and there, and there was that kind of buzz, that kind of goosebumps, believing that you was going to win that game of football. And it hasn't been happening for a while. And when you just go out and you win one and everyone goes, great, but you have to look at performances to go into your next game. And that was, wasn't materialising, Wayne, and... Every time we say on a Monday, and we suddenly we've gone from a, a poor performance on a Saturday, and if I said it to most other people, they come out and use that foot as football words. A win's a win, yeah, a win is a win, but a win isn't a win in that way. When you're talking about Manchester United, you need more. And when we look at the other the other three teams in this division, the, the other three teams who who we know are competing for the Premier League. You look about how they go about their games and what the demands are, and you see where Manchester United are so wrong at this moment in time. And it's not it's not a quick fix. You know, there were situations before what was going on, but you know, I may be jumping ahead here, but i I'd say that what Oli what done as a manager, as a manager, let's talk about him as a manager, not a coach, is that he's managed the club incredibly well from what he brought the club from, Wayne, where the club was. And when you talk about the way that club was internally, the people, the people that matter, because those people were were made to feel to matter by Sir Alex Ferguson. Because when Manchester United won, the whole club won. Not just the people in the dressing room, everyone won. And that had been taken away from them slowly. They weren't feeling that. And then <clears throat> the person who managed the club before, Oli, Straight away, took every, destroyed everything. All those, all those years of what was being built was taken away, straight away by that person. And Ollie got everything back together. He got a good field factor back. He, he, You know, the club, he suddenly realised that the values of the club just weren't there. He needed to get everything back that way and get everyone believing that they were part of that dressing room. And I really do believe that he done that. He's certainly done that. It was a happier place again. And he never forgot about his days as a player. Everything he was doing was from his own heart, not just forcing the issue because he felt he had to do that. He did it because he wanted to do that. He was comfortable doing that. He knew what the environment was all about. When he was a player and he wanted that really good environment again because he knew it's part and parcel of what built the club and what took the club to where it was under Sir Alex so you know on that side of it no one could have done a better job what he's done on that bit of it on the other side of it, there's the bit which he was lacking in was experience really because when it really mattered manchester united were winning games but when it come about performances and when it come into winning games that matter after so many opportunities he couldn't go out and get that trophy he couldn't go out and get manchester united compete at the right levels to go and compete for the Premier Leagues or to look like a side that was going to win it or a side that was going to compete in a Champions League and that's where the margins are so minimal on the person at the helm and that's the bit he lacks really Wayne and he he would know that himself if he's perfectly honest and being what it is it ain't going to take him so many years to come out and say that he'll when someone goes to him maybe next week they're going to want to maybe still be in his face but he he knows that and he would admit to that that he didn't have that little bit to maybe go that bit further. And then when I I read something, because I haven't read much or looked or listened to anything over this weekend, really. I've been bugged to death, but I didn't really want to go and say anything. I didn't, I just wouldn't have felt comfortable saying anything at that moment in time just after he'd, done, <clears throat> after he'd lost his job. But I think we look at it, and I think they're talking about now saying that he was offered the opportunity to maybe amend his backroom staff. And he he said no. And I think what we're seeing there, that's true. And we look at it, and it could be true. And even in his the other side of things, loyalty can cost you as well yeah. as sentiment. And, you know, and yes, he felt with Michael Carrick and knowing him and then with the other coaches around that he didn't want to bring someone else in. And maybe it's one of those things he's saying to himself, that's the bit where if I was given a second chance at another job, I would, I would go about and do it a different way. Because Sir Alex didn't make all these changes with coaches, just at a whim. It was years from when he first started at St. Mirren, from there yeah. and going through where he went, to he just knew it that, you know, second time, third time of asking, I've got to go down this road, because otherwise it's, it's, it's my job on the line here, it's my credibility, you know, it's my integrity. Certain things that is being will be questioned, and next time around, if Ollie gets another opportunity, doesn't matter what level of football, he will he will some of the decisions that he made and some of the decisions he didn't make, that will all be put in the that will all be put into that little pot, and he'll think a lot harder about them.
1: Yeah, he's learned the hard way with that with the patience. But we, I mean, we were saying it for um, months, really. The the loyalty that he was showing some of the players because it was clear that they weren't... Um, I'm not saying anything bad about the squad members at United, fair, f- fine enough, but in terms of bridging that gap to becoming a, a, a sort of Premier League winning squad, they just weren't going to do it. The players weren't good enough to do that. But he was retaining the faith in them. And you've you just mentioned like all the sort of major things there um, that ultimately are the reason why he's looking for a new job. I mean, the in terms of the profile of United, I think he handled that incredibly well because he knows the expectation. You know, He knows the kind of um, criticism that you're going to get and he handled all that side of it quite well. But it was, like you said, the, the loyalty to people um, and players um, who perhaps like him, didn't have the experience or they weren't good enough, but he, he retained that faith and they didn't sort of step up. Um, or maybe they did step up and they just weren't able to um, deliver. Um, and then you've obviously got the inexperience, like you said, the inexperience told a little bit, especially the last few weeks, where you could tell that his decision-making in terms of the <laughs> squad he was selecting and the, um, the, the changes that he was making to the teams, um, both in selection and from the start, and um, you know, it, it was inevitable. Really, Rory says, "Morning, good morning, mate." Um, and like I keep saying, if if you guys have got any questions, please right. feel free to to add them in. Um, yeah, it, all this this matter, all these matters, sort of culminated it, when they culminate in the way that they did, and the results and performances are so bad. Only one person at a, a job, uh, at a football club loses a job. Generally, um, we'll get on to why the others didn't in a little bit as well. Um, I just thought like, you know, it's really sad. I was absolutely good yesterday. Not, I mean, you're sad when any change happens because it means that you're starting again and there's an upheaval and I don't think there's any reason to be excited about this because you mentioned all the foundations. Imagine like everything that was sort of, taken away, and, and we don't have to put all the blame on Mourinho's, though, some of it was Van Gaal, because when they hired Van Gaal, they obviously had a very different philosophy, which they wanted to go down, they installed this new structure, they wanted to go with a different brand, uh, modernise the club in a certain way, um, embrace different things, um, and they were chasing that for four years, and then when Ollie came in, they basically said, oh, well, we'll go back to what we did, so, so I just put all those, I mean, and people aren't going to see it now, but the, the person who comes in, as Ollie's successor, Paul, is going to... And we'll talk about whoever that is in a moment, but the person who comes in is going to benefit from the work that he's done, for sure, right? You know, stabilising everything, you know, making it... I know people are just going to say, oh, oh, he puts smiles on people's faces. That's not what you hire a manager for. It's not, and that's why he's lost his job. But what he has done, the person who comes in is going to benefit from that shortly.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. There's definitely it'd be an easier start for the next person to come in and what it was for Ollie for when he walked, what he walked into, to be perfectly honest. And that's the major bits that he should be judged on, really, those bits there, because everything, you have to lay down a, or rebuild a, a foundation. There was there was a foundation there that was had cracks in it all over the place, to be perfectly honest. And he's come in and he's gone and sorted all those issues out. The the biggest issue is going to come in is going to be, some The next one that comes in is going to want his own coaching staff and that's going to be a major change and <clears throat> At this moment in time it need, it does need to change. I think you still need somebody like a a Mickey Phelan now. I still believe in that, not being a you know an ex teammate of mine i 'm just just his whole manner and he knows and he knows the club and he there's still those little bits that you need that that little bit of that old guard you need that was taken away too quickly by David Moyes. Yeah, you know he's the one. He's the only one, as far as I'm concerned, who can who can add something, can really add something. But as we know, certain people that you know you're allowed certain stipulations when you come in as a new manager. And virtually, if there's somebody there who's, who's who fits everything, or they want to keep involved, they feel obliged to. Then they, then they then they have to go and do that to keep that person. Now, I think Mickey should be a shoo-in really to stay, but they might decide that. Maybe Michael Carrick should stay as well, and maybe that's the reason why he's feeling that berth as interim manager at this moment in time. But for, but now we've got to have to decide who's the right person, who is gonna whoever comes in. It, you you know you are again looking at somebody who is gonna take you to the next level, and the next level for Manchester United is being able to compete. Don't talk about winning leagues. Don't talk about winning a Champions League it's about competing it's about winning that first winning that first trophy as a manager be it a league cup or an FA cup and then building because that's what that's what united are about and not you know you know sh- shop once and then don't go back again you know you've got to be shopping every single day looking to win trophy after trophy yeah. um,
1: rory asks away from the pitch side of things how do we feel it's been handled by the owners um well, I'll ask Paul in a moment, but I'll just give my... I, I did talk about this on the podcast that we did uh, yesterday with Gordon Hill. Gordon has been giving his reaction on the channel as well, and that was yesterday. We reacted to the news as it as it was happening in the evening. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, that's... I'm good for a number of reasons, but that the way that it's been handled has just been horrendous in my point of view. I mean... It's been clear since Liverpool that um, that we've needed to make that change. So whatever they've been doing in the meantime to plan, they've either not found the right man or the right man's come to them and said that he's not available until the summer or they've decided that they don't want to pay mid-season to get someone out of the contract or they don't want to do it before January because they'll have to give them transfer funds. I think It's not just that. It's the fact that they announced an interim successor but they don't even have a name for that. Um, And not only is that the case, that they did all this at the same time as announcing that they're sacking the manager, who was a club legend. So they've said that they don't have a plan, but we're going to go forward without a manager anyway. And they even said, like, you know, it's with reluctance that it's going. And all of that, like, and Paul's just said it there, the entire coaching staff has been left in place. And the reason why they've done that is because they can't not have coaches. So the entire structure really is going to remain as it is. And they've basically called Solskjaer out as the responsible one when he's probably been the one more responsible for putting the foundation in place, and that is just appalling to me. I and mean, appalling in the way that they've treated him, but also appalling. I'm not so. Look, we've already said this at the top of the show. It was time for him to go, and the inexperience was telling, and everything like that. I know all that. That's that's right. Fine. The football was. Um, the performances were dropping off a cliff. The results were horrendous. That's the time for a, a manager to go. That that's it. It's unavoidable. We agree that to happen, but to not have a plan, to not, and then tell the world that you don't have a plan, but still cite the manager, and then uh, making him do an interview. I mean, look, I I know that he wanted to do it because he's a class act, and that's the way that he is. But just issue a statement, put the video out a bit later. He had tears in his eye. I can't watch that back because he was that devastated, like you know. And and they were using that for engagement, kicking him when he was down, leaving the comments on the tweets so you know that he's going to be getting abuse. You know, yesterday was one of the worst days I've ever experienced as a fan poll. Really, really low. And I'm, I'm trying to think of worse, but it was really bad. Uh, certainly this century. And I include the owners taking over, Fergie retiring, the the Aguero scoring to win the league and all that sort of stuff this was so bad it was so bad it was um i just don't know where to begin i mean before we get to the successes and everything like that paul how did you feel i don't want to make you go like full in on everything that i've just said but the fact that they've sacked him and they don't have an in they said that they want an interim and they've said that they want a long-term successor but they haven't got an idea of who either of those people are. Is that concerning to
0: you? Yeah. Oh oh, oh without sh- sorry, I'm just looking <clears> at <throat> just looking here just at the, the goal, the Southampton goal with um, Fernandes Fernandez with that what he tried to do with that volley from yeah. the throwing from Luke Shaw. <clears throat> it was ridiculous. He swing he's meant to be clearing it, he? he swings swings inside instead of maybe going with his left foot down the line, but there you are. Um what, what the way everything just worked, the whole thing, the practice, you know, we know that there was issues going on, but then it got kind of <clears throat> straight away hits. It goes into a cul-de-sac against Liverpool. And then, again, it was just trying to everyone <clears throat> about the Tottenham game. The Tottenham game did give me the hump, really, because it was two poor teams. Two teams who at once talked about their managers with situations. Two teams who have got issues with their, with their owners and whatever. You know, they're not happy Spurs fans with what's going on. Maybe not so much owner, but they're throwing in, you know, Daniel Levy is the one with <clears throat> the situation there. And Spurs Spurs reacted, Manchester United didn't. Um, and then you go into the City game and you kind of going, wow. <laughs> I, I said it was it was worse than Liverpool, and I still stand by that. Mm. And you think, no, this ain't going to be right. During that time, you miss out on, you know, on a, on a manager. And I sat... I sat and I watched um, Conte just during, just during, just watching him just in a highlighted gun just watched him on that touchline and the, the, he's, he's a showman but you can just see it matters to him. You can see, yes, he's, he's out there and he just shows his, his intent but he shows his emotion as well and it's everything that Manchester United have missed and what they really needed to go and get. Okay, yes, you missed out on that. But then you go to Watford you say what Ollie said what he wants for his players he doesn't get it he knows he has to go and then they sack him and then if anything if there was a coach sitting on that bench of note someone who had something about him who's who'd been recognized as a top number two as such I should say an old-fashioned way of saying it but there's an opportunity for him to step in and just to be called the interim manager and feel that berth. But, but there's something in him that could make a difference because he's, he's been muted a bit by the manager, as he would do, out of respect. He only comes into play when 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 the manager needs him, wants him to go and do his bit, but he's got an opportunity to go and do it. You think, okay, this is something different now. He's going to come in and he's going to make changes, what he believed that a manager should have done, but not, really, not what happens at Manchester United. Michael Carrick's going to be into a manager, and Michael Carrick is not a stand standout person. He's <clears throat> not everything about him as a player wasn't standout. Everything he'd done, it was in a mode and his presence was there, but you never saw it as such. He, he had he had an influence without really being that out-and-out person, which he doesn't fit football today in the way football is today. In in that sense, as a standout showman. But when you look at stats, it's perfect for the stat people in that sense. But as a coach... He was he was there initially when Ollie started. Him and Kieran, might be United were scoring goals and they were high five in on, on the touchline all the time, but that disappeared. Disappeared when performances changed and results. Haven't seen it as much since. Anything near that. So United have really gone about it the wrong, wrong way because there's nothing to say that it's gonna change in the next game. You know, you always we always talk about when someone steps in, comes in, caretaker, interim, whatever, that next game you're going to see a change, you're going to see this in the players. I'm really thinking about it and I just can't, I can't see, i just not seeing, not, not feeling that way and that that something's going to change that way. You know, can Michael Carrick go in there and do something and get something from the players that Oli wasn't? Is he going to be on that t- touchline line? and orchestrating something from the touchline. Is he going to be that busy person on the touchline? I, I really, I'm really not seeing that at some moment. I'm hoping I'm 100% wrong, really am, that Michael Carrick is going to surprise me. Great player in what he'd done, the way he was, in that role that he played, which everyone now is trying to replicate that role now and find that person to play it. Manchester United could do with the Michael Carrick at this moment in time in midfield, 100%. Just 100%. Didn't go around trying to kick people. Didn't go around trying to bully people. Hardly gave fouls away. Just nicked the ball, got the ball, lent it to people. And got, you know, got it back off them, just lent it to them, just so he can adjust his, himself in a more progressive position to get it back. And mm. United haven't got that at this moment in time. Matic is the only one who can go and do that. But Matic, years of maybe catching him up at this moment in time. So, I'm really worried about the next game. What's, what is going to come out of it? You're looking for someone to go out there and jump at it and go and do something. I don't think there is. The one person normally I would have said would be Fernandes. But I'm not I'm not really sure. I'm not sure at this moment in time where, where his head is at in this moment in time. Fernandes has been lost since Ronaldo's turned up. Yeah,
1: that's fair. Um talk about the successes in a moment or potential successes i think for me it's more the fact that they it's the biggest club in the world and they just admitting that they don't have a plan do you know what i mean to to not have anything and and to say like well we want a long term person but we're going to get a short person short term person in but we still don't know who either of them are. it's it's ludicrous I, I, there's no way that a serious football co- club I can't even think of like an amateur football club that would be run as badly as that. You've got to have some kind of succession in place, especially the way that they did it. So to, to make a big song and dance about it, to put all this interaction stuff together so they are making sure that they were making the most of it themselves and then to not have anything in place, it's kind of like saying, oh, well, Ole, you were the problem, you were the figurehead of this, but we're going to keep the rest of it. All the rest of it is going to remain in place. It's a nonsense, it's an absolute nonsense way to run a club. Um, And the other thing is the knock-on effect from this, because if they don't have, even in the message of what they're saying about they want an interim person until they get the long-term person sorted, Paul, that's kind of saying, okay, well, we're looking at writing this season off, but we're in November. We've played 12 games in the league. There's a few points away from the Champions League. Don't completely write off going for the league as well just because it's we're, we're like 12 points behind. Anything can happen in those in these months that are going to follow. I look back to Van Gaal in December when it looked like he was going to get sacked and he kept the job. And I look back to when Jose was sacked in, um, in the December and I think, well, you've done this twice already. You've written off because everyone knew Van Gaal was going to be sacked, but they didn't pull the trigger on it. And I thought at some point, in in some case, you've got to make a decision with the managers, and you've got to say, especially with the two that had the experience, Van Gaal and Mourinho, there was a greater benefit to saying, back him properly in the new year, let him make a couple of big statements, let him either sell a couple of players and say that that's not good enough, or bring a couple of players in, make a massive shake-up, make some kind of message known that the manager can end careers and not the other way around. But they've decided, no, 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 we'll just go the same way. The players can end the careers. And I it absolutely, uh, and the same trick's been missed here. I'm not saying that, you know, I do think that it was getting away from Solskjaer. And maybe there was nothing to be gained by letting him have January. But I just think that you look at some of these players and they are going to be moving on, just get... You're losing by giving this window of opportunity to an interim and you're not bringing in a new manager. You're not giving that new manager the chance to sort of say, Pogba, you're out. Lingard, you're out. Martial, you're out. Even another player, sort of like Maguire, statements. You know what I mean? So someone who's, who you might not expect, who they'll just axe and get out of the door because they're making statements. You're not going to give a manager chance to do that And in this short-term period of time, Pogba will go of his own accord, Lingard will go of his own accord, and you're not going to have a manager with an iron fist in the dressing room. They're going to come in and say, oh, everything's getting better. I just don't – every opportunity to mess it up is being taken. I don't – really, I really don't get where they're coming from with any of this. Rory asks – or he he makes a comment about – he says, I don't believe Conte was ever a candidate because he represents a short-term thinking solution. But the rumours today about Pochettino not being happy in Paris is encouraging. There are still doubts about him. Yeah, obviously there are. But he, he does look like, in some areas, Paul, that he's emerging as the favourite. Um, t- talk to me about what you think about Pochettino.
0: Well, I'm looking now, <clears throat> but many people might be saying, I'm turning to my left all the time because so I'm looking at the screen. And not that I'm I'm listening to what's going on. next. I don't want to listen to the two people on there anyway. All I'm doing is... Seen the seen the ticker going along the bottom, and they're saying that Pochettino is is know is virtually saying he's ready to leave Paris now. Yeah, that's what it's saying. That doesn't surprise me to be perfectly honest, because he's never looked happy there. He doesn't want to be working working with a Neymar. He'll he'll have Messi all day long, but not with Neymar. You could just saw you saw the game when the Man City game with Neymar, and but you could just you seen his face, some of the things that are going on. You could just see he was just putting his head down where when he was manager of Spurs he would have reacted to something. His players were disciplined in, in a in a certain way. As all players are in a certain way, but he just can't deal with the way that club is just too it's too much of a circus for him. He's used to structure organisation and PSG are not an organ, organised club with a good structure in that sense on the football pitch. So I think that he's I think he's a great fit. You know, there's a lot of people that go in saying, oh, the reason why he's not is this and he hasn't done that. And I just think he's the actual ideal person, the way he presents himself. We have to remember quite a few years ago, there was pictures of Sir Alex and him coming out of a restaurant together, if you can remember that. I think that that happened quite a few years ago. That was being mentioned. Sir Alex, it seems like he likes him. Sir Alex has been mentioned about him. Which isn't always a good thing when that happens, because at the end of the day the boss, you know he's not, it's, not, it's not his decision as such, but people might be just using, using him just to maybe think they can make their stories stronger or their sources stronger by saying, "Sir Alex." Um, but I look at Pochettino, I look at the way he presents himself. I look what he'd done with a, a team when they played at Wembley for two years, and they qualified for the Champions League on those two occasions. Yeah. You know, in the following season they get to the champions League you know they get they get to a Champions League final as well, so I think what he's done now is is absolutely brilliant. People have this thing in their heads, and there's a lot of them out there and they come up and say the easiest thing to come up and say is he hasn't won anything. Yeah. People have got to remember that there's quite a few you know there's quite a few teams out there and there's only a few trophies. And sometimes you need a little bit of luck just to get over the line. You especially with the generation.
1: So, yeah. especially, yeah, especially generation now, we're we
0: yeah. you know. That's exactly right. But then, as well, there's a lot of people without. You know, we look at it now, and I mean, you how we're communicating now, and it's going out to a lot of people. This is the good side of it, but there's the bad side of it that these people keep throwing things up in their opinions. Suddenly, turn into very aggressive and gets nasty about things. And I'm looking, and all I do is I look at Pochettino, I look at the way he presents it, and a poor decision from a referee in the early part of a Champions League final cost him a better opportunity of winning a Champions League. Mm. That referee decision, that handball against Sissoko, which should never have been given a handball, cost cost him the opportunity. Because they just couldn't, you know, they didn't recover from that, to be perfectly honest. And maybe a poor decision, which is mostly a decision you would never make again, of being pressured to play a player in the final when that player should never have played. And that was Harry Kane. There's two things. One of them was in his control, but he never, he didn't, maybe he was being put under pressure from above to play. But everyone knows, every Spurs fan knows, the majority of them knows, and I think... He knows himself and him, that he made he should have Lucas um Lucas sorry, Lucas Moore should have played in that final instead of Harry Kane for what he'd done to get him there over those two games against Ajax. So Pochettino, for me is the ideal person because he suits everything about Manchester United and the way he conducts himself, the way he speaks, and what he'd done with Tottenham, the way Tottenham played football, and the way they played at Wembley for two seasons, every game away from home, and they Qualify for the Champions League. For me, that's great management. It always yeah. winning winning trophies makes you makes you a great great manager on the red basis. But you still can be a great manager. Great managers don't have to always win trophies. It's the way they manage a team and they manage a football club.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think Ron Atkinson was a good. I'm um, an example of that for United. Uh, not a great manager, but someone who came, he didn't have a history of winning anything. But he came in and he certainly won stuff with United. Um, Red guitarist asks, "Oh, wait, he makes a comment. Really? Um, I don't feel Posh is the right man to take us to the next level. The lack of trophies does worry him. Um, I believe the club would be better off waiting until the summer for Zidane or Tenog. This is the thing with me, like Zidane, because Zidane's available. Sorry,
0: Wayne. Sorry, sorry, Wayne. I've just got to stop. Pete, that's the thing that's getting on my nerves with this one here." I like the idea of Ten Hag. <clears throat> I like that, and he's, he's what he's doing with <clears throat> in Holland and Ajax as well. But everyone goes on about Zidane. Zidane, Zidane won trophies at Real Madrid, but he was not doing any of the buying. He, what he, was, his players were being picked by everyone above him, and they were, yeah. he was, they were virtually chucked in the dresser into him and said, "Do something with them." He fell out with players because he didn't want them. The other, the other
1: thing about Zidane as well was that um, the criticism. Uh, uh, re- talking to some uh, a friend who a Spanish football expert, and he was talking about Zidane, and one of the big concerns that they had about him at Real Madrid was that. He was great for the big occasions, and Real Madrid had a lot of them in that period of time, but not so great on the smaller occasions, you know, to motivate them to play against Levante at home. And that's precisely what United struggle. They need that kind of thing, that that kind of building block to to sort of kick on. And I'm I'm with you. But also, the other thing with Zidane is he couldn't have made it clearer that he doesn't want the job and he's available. So don't go after... Imagine having... That would be the worst kind of person to motivate this squad. I don't want to be here. A lot of you don't want to be here, but let's do something anyways. But I like what you have just said about Pochettino. If they can... It's not so much... I think where I am with that, um, and this is thinking off the top of my head because being forced to think about a successor and this kind of succession plan, perhaps the best solution is to do something while he's... In contract and he's ready to walk if that's the case because you're at least having a a kind of step where you look like Pochettino's going to leave a club who's a great club and they're going to win trophies anyway but he's making the decision to leave a talented squad to come to United, and so that's a good sign that he's he's got some character about the fight that he you know that he wants to sort of step up there. But also to get it, I keep saying it, but I do think it's a big opportunity to get him in before January to get the man in that you want before January. Show conviction that he's the man that you want. Get him in, let him make a couple of big decisions, even if it looks inevitable that Pogba and Lingard are going to go let him be the one to make that decision quickly and swiftly. Do you know what I mean? Show some conviction with what you're doing. And then I'll be more inclined to think, Oh God, okay. Well, at least we've made a decision there rather than just laboring and not knowing, like we look looking, like we're not knowing what we're doing. Um, a couple of comments, uh, red so- guitarist talks about um, Zidane Ten tenor. Who would you pick? between Pochettino and Rodgers if there are options. I think we both basically said they're Pochettino, although I mean, we've talked about Rodgers on previous podcasts. I think Paul's less convinced, much less convinced than what I am about um, everything. But yeah, so a couple more comments as well. Zidane worries me, Simon, sorry, says this. Zidane worries me because he's walked out on Madrid twice, where they, they had no succession plan, just like United don't. Exactly, that's another problem. Rory, um, Zidane's a ludicrous idea. He doesn't know English. Fell out with bail over language barriers. Why would we want him in a dressing room with um, underperforming English-speaking players? Yep, another great point. Um, Dan, uh, one of our main um, um, guys at the website and the podcast pod- podcast behind the scenes, Dan, um, he asked a question that he wanted me to put to you, Paul, and I think it's a really good question. You, were, you played in the England team under Bobby Robson and then under, you know, the succession after that. And it was for, for a little while, it seemed like it was a poison chalice, the England job. Do you think that there's something similar with United at the moment?
0: Yeah, of course. You know, every time there's always been those full storms since, since um, Sir Alex retired. And it seems like just... Things seem to follow suit. You like to think, no, nah, that can't happen again. And what I'm alluding to, obviously, it's a Crosby it scenario. Um, what's happened there? The managers that have come and gone since Sir Alex retired, and um, it's just been really, just, it's been, it's been poor. There hasn't really been a real, real high note where you suddenly really believe that something's going to happen. There's always been doubt, and it's there. But I'm, I look at that one and. Bobby Robson, obviously, was forced out of his job in the end. Yeah. So he made that decision to sign a pre-agreement with PSV. Graham Taylor come in, <clears throat> totally changed everything. Changed every little bit what was done before. That was his way of saying, this is, you know, I'm going to do it my way. Where he could have really tried to build on what was kind of started a little bit. In Italy, you know, from from what happened in nineteen ninety, He could have done that, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do it his way, and <clears throat> trying my best not to be disrespectful, but the changes that he made, it just was, was too many players just wasn't ready yeah. at that time. They just wasn't ready to go straight into it. <clears throat> when I talk about when I talk about my career as an international, I should have, I reckon, in theory. Given everything, if everything followed as it did and everything runs smoothly, which don't know, hypothetical now, but, um, I should have been, should have had maybe 40 caps, maybe 40 caps. I want to turn around and say, but Bobby Robson, when he called me into the squad, he, he kept me in the stands for, oh, for quite a few months, seven, eight months. I was, I was in the squad and yeah. you can only have five or six subs in. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if he could have that many, but he kept me in. So I watched. So I was going. I was travelling around, coming back on the Thursday, coming back on, coming back on a Wednesday night from games, early two, three o'clock in the morning, going to training with QPR, and then playing on the Saturday, and and hadn't even, hadn't even put a kit on sometimes, you know, just trains, and and then all of a sudden, then I started sitting on the bench, and then. All of a sudden, after getting called up first into the squad in nineteen eighty eight, I don't I actually make um, make my debut in eighty nine. And my first, my only fifteen minutes of competitive football before I played in nineteen ninety at World Cup. He just believed that you needed to watch, you needed to listen yes. what's going on. You just needed to feel it. But no, not Graham Taylor. He just he brought in everybody. He brought in, players were coming in, and and the players that were left, you know, like myself from 1990, nothing was ever said. But inside of them, they were kind of not feeling it. They just they just they just didn't, you know, from myself, from when you go in from having Chris Waddle playing in front of you, you know, the summer before. You had Chris Waddle playing, and then you jump, and all of a sudden, you look what's in front of you the next game. You're kind of going, oof, you know, Chris Waddle helped me through that period of time. And I'm looking what's in front of me, and I thought to myself, blimey, I'm still a novice at international football, and I've got someone in front of me who's more novice than what I am. And so, yeah. again, he made too, he made too many quick changes. His backroom staff, there was no international experience at all, but he's all very much very Watford orientated with um, Laurie McMenamin. And it was just it was you could just see even everyone around it, the ones who were there before, around the medical and everything. Everyone was kind of just kind of we was was in this kind of trance. And I look at you know then you just look at what's happening now with Manchester United and just you, you're kind of seeing that again. And it needs stability now. <clears throat> it needs something really that's going to happen. But how many how many chances? How many times is Manchester United going to go through this? You know and I still think about, I still think about Wilf, Wilf McGuinness from when he went in there, you know, and it's, 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 it's a, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with what happened with Oli and, <clears throat> you know, you think about, and and I'm sure the United fans of those days and maybe the ones who will speak to their, maybe their grandparents or their parents, or whatever, will maybe ask, how did they feel when Wilf got in? They, they, the first thing they wanted, they wanted to Wilf to do so well. They really wanted him to do well. A man who was just, Born and bred, and everything was Manchester United. You wanted him to do well. When it was going wrong, yes, you wanted him out, but you didn't. You didn't want to, you know, you know, hang him out to dry. You didn't want to be nasty to him. You wanted. You just wanted him just to. You wanted him to go to, you know, just to kind of ain't going to happen and walk away with a smile. That's what you wanted him to walk. A bit like the way Oli's gone away. You just wanted everything right. He knows you know, but you're not. You said enough about it about him going. You're not going to. You're not going to persecute him. You're not going to be disrespectful. You can remember what he was as a man and a player for Manchester United, and obviously with with Will, I just think it was along those lines as well. With only that along those lines, and all you want is your club to get back, back to where to, to where they should be, but in the right manner as well. And Pochettino, for me is the one who can do that i'm hearing brendan rogers everyone says brendan rogers but i personally don't think so again I, I i said this i heard i said it yesterday i think i did and brendan rogers has come out and i think committed maybe one of the the don't do's cardinal sins whatever you say is I had a go at the fans for booing i think as a manager given everything about him what he is and you know even the time he's been there so i don't think you're doing that to be perfectly honest you know mm. there is a little bit of entitlement in certain ways a positive entitlement of you know when you're going to a football match not unless you've got a free ticket then I think you've got a right to maybe have an opinion how you follow that on after that's the bit that can be questioned but um so I wonder has he thrown that one in there to maybe breed a bit a little bit of contempt a little bit of you know <laughs> disrespect to kind of throw that in there to kind of, you know, like, you know maybe in a way of saying, I'm available, I don't know, but I don't personally think he's the right person what Manchester United need. I think they need someone a little bit more of a discipl- disciplinarium which Pochettino is. He is that way. If anybody wants to the right people want to sit down and really study the situation, I think they've got to have a look at Spurs over that two-year period and the manner in which they played. Remember how Spurs, when they beat Manchester United under Pochettino in the semi-final. Remember, just look look at that. Look at those games where they played the at Wembley away from home and how they got consistency. They got everything about them playing away from home for two years. And that tells you that somebody who, who created a really good structure in a team and spent, didn't spend a lot of money, he made players as well. Danny Alley, Owes his career to maybe the person who got him into football, but he owes where he is, his his stature, his status, to Pochettino. And mm-hmm. since Pochettino's gone, he's dropped. People say it was dropping before, but I think that was more personal than anything. Like a lot of players, look at Danny Rose now, look yeah. where he is. So you got you look at those bits. Everyone's judging Brendan roses because he gets, he has bursts, he has little bursts. That's all he has, and all of a sudden. Then he has a m- massive problems for quite a period of time. We're seeing that now again. He's had too many, too many of them. Brendan Rogers, what's he? Um, did he win he won an, did he win the FA Cup? yet? Yeah, he won he's won what so winning one FA Cup, he's won something. That, that's now because he's won something, he should get the job. That's how it's being judged, then he's got the job. But if you want to look at it properly, if you do anything, go and do your homework. And I don't mean look at stats, forget stats, look at the stats while you're watching the football or after you watch football, I think you find that Pochettino is the right person by what he built and the structure, the way they played and how those players were, or how they conducted themselves off the field and everything and how they responded to him on the pitch. And mm. I think when you look at it, that maybe if there was somebody, if we go by what everyone's saying, he's the person.
1: Yeah. Um, let's just, quickly recap that Watford game because we've got to do it. But when, whatever's going to happen from this moment in time, the players need to step up. Uh, the manager's gone, so there's no screen anymore. But he's not there, so they've got to step up. They've got to take responsibility for what happened on Saturday. No uh, we-go-again messages. Um, And you talked about it being bad or worse against City than it was against Liverpool. And probably the first half against Watford. I know that you were you were at a game on Saturday, but you will have seen the highlights. The first half performance—we could have conceded five. Um, it was absolutely shambolic. The, the you mentioned the Fernandez mistake, the McTominay, um, the penalty. Um, obviously, then you've got the, for is it Josh King's goal where the entire back four are actually in the six-yard box, which I didn't think I'd ever see. You've got. Him in front of the six-yard box and the entire back four in the six-yard box. And he's still got time to score. Then, of course, you've got the um Harry Maguire um, sending off where Tom Cleverley's bullied him a couple of times. And that was another thing. Watford Spine, Ben Foster, Craig Cathcart, Tom Cleverley, Josh King... These lads were in the reserves when, like, they were, in, they were being coached by all the United reserves, and now they were bullying us all over the pitch. And that's what I mean. Yeah, you can say that the manager's got something to do with that, but the players have got to have pride in the performance. And, and oh my god, it was it was a shambolic display, uh, one of the worst I've ever seen. And, and again, to add to the ones that we've seen from United recently, absolutely off a cliff, unbelievable to, in terms of how bad it was. Um Paul, I know that there's a massive red flag in there with Aaron Maguire and what he did. Um, but it, it was dreadful all over, wasn't it?
0: It was. <laughs> everything, everything was bad. Yes, I've seen the highlights and, and what's going on. And I've kind of seen it being scrutinised to my left here as well, some, some of the bits and everything. But when you look at a team that's got the most expensive back four in the Premier League, Unless anyone can tell me any different, I've just been kind of working out the cost of the the backboard. I mean, if you're talking what fifty odd million. You know, you look at you just look at the, the amount. Of, it would look at over a season. You look at what those players have cost. It's just and what what's been what you're getting from them and what you should expect from them. You're kind of going, no, this ain't right. There's there's something wrong here. But um, the whole thing what just went on there and it is it is about the players. It definitely is, but. They they they're meant to be out lifting themselves, and you go to get you go to Watford. You expect to win. <clears throat> um, every for maybe Watford fans will go in there with a little bit of belief, be, given re, the recent performances of United. Even I said it. I mean, I turned around and I was asked about the game prior to went before I went on air at the game. I was doing how are United going to get on. I said for me to. Get to say something positive about it. I said I've got to go with my heart and say that United are going to win. I said if you, but please don't. And I said after, but please don't ask me with, about my head because my head will won't be as positive as what my heart is at this moment in time. And and that's the way it was. Just, it was just that feeling I had about it being what the way they've been. You know, they're you know they're just you know, they're marmot. You know, whatever way you want to come out say them, hot and cold. You just don't know where you get. The game was a big game. It was going to be a sellout. You mentioned about the players who were playing. They were going to raise their game and do everything. You know, their ex-manager was on the touchline as well. And, you know, I just look at it and I've got, you know, when I, when I look at £80 million pound being spent on a player and then you t- and you say to yourself, if you would have gone and spent half of that, you would think to yourself, well, okay. But when you spent £80 million, nah. Someone, and I've said this before, I think I said it last week, the problem is the press have got got it into his head that he is a footballing centre-half. He is not a footballing centre-half. He's trying to dribble, trying to dribble past people. Good centre-halves, good defenders, only beat people when they have to to get out of serious trouble, quick feet to get out of trouble, to clear their lines. They don't try and take on People who hit them in the face when the ball at their feet in front of the goal. They'll pull it out for a throw-in, they'll go wide, they'll go back to the keeper. But they'll never get caught in possession trying to beat people unnecessarily. And he has believed the press that he's good on the ball. And dribbling with the ball as a centre-half isn't categorised, in my opinion, as good on the ball. Good on the ball means that that you're, you're making the right decisions with it. That's good on the ball. Yeah. That's first and, that first and foremost. You're making the right decisions with the ball at your feet. You don't have to have six, seven touches for the cameras for people to say you're a good footballer. And, you know, Virgil van Dijk, I don't know, a few million pounds less than him, he doesn't dribble past people. He never dribbles. I sat and watched him at, a, at um, London Stadium a couple of weeks back and he was immense in the sense of People tried to dribble around him, didn't dribble around him, got his body across in front of him. When he had the ball, saw the first red shirt in space, gave it to him. Didn't dribble in towards the corner flags, hogging, holding, 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 and then passing it when a person's got three, you know, three, four people. If I was Luke Shaw, I'd have to shout and scream at them, give me the ball earlier so I can do something positive rather than give it back to you. So there's a problem. Wan-Bissaka needs a confidence boost. He needs, He's not progressed. He should be progressing, but something. His head needs a change. He might need a change of manager, someone different. A Pochettino can do that. He can build players' confidence and he can make players better. Make players believe they're better than what they are. He done that again with Spurs. The two centre halves. He centre halves at Tottenham. That he had incredible centre halves, but he made them good centre halves. they had their best. Tottenham had the best two centre half, best centre half um, partnership in the Premier League while he was there. Yeah. He might be able to do that with a centre half, especially having Varane now. Someone like Harry Maguire, as the saying goes to so someone like Harry Maguire, you're a centre half, just head and volley. Don't have any more than two touches. Don't do it. Just play play to way your body your body is. Just head and volley. That's all you gotta do. Just be a defender for me first and foremost. That's, that was all that's all that is really needed. And once you can get that area sorted out, there the rest of it can be built on, and it might help what's happening in midfield as well. So we have to, we, you know, at this moment in time, there is these issues to be sorted out. But the change, of the manager leaving, is still a long, long, long way away. Because we, even with a manager, you think everyone kept saying, "Oh, these players are good enough to win, to win something." They're not. The, the players there are not good enough. There's players there who got new contracts who aren't even playing, should not have got new contracts, whose idea was to give all the contracts out to all these players? It's absolutely madness that's gone on. Buying should not have got a new contract, but he's got one. He's got one, and he's, he's come out. He's been, you know, spoke about in the press, has not been coming out about him, about the Leicester City game. So there's too much talking, too much disrespect going on. New manager that's coming, they need a disciplinarian straight away.
1: Yeah. Um, Dan asks quickly, um, Paul, Wambasaka doesn't want to cross the ball that much is obvious. Is that down to coaching or lack of belief? Because he's shown he can play despite the performances this season. I think you indicated there, probably, a lack of belief at the moment. But maybe, yeah. maybe coaching as well, obviously. yeah.
0: Um,
1: we can't discount yeah,
0: that. I, yeah, I want to see Luke Short just cross the ball. I want to see him cross the ball. He gets some good, but he wants to dribble. He want, Everyone now uh, he has got into his head, but he's this... He's his footballing left back now. He's scored a goal in the in the Euros final, and he's overplaying now. Too many touches, Far too, not shifting the ball quick enough. You just want them to get the ball into midfield players as quick as possible. In that way, as it was before. You see all the, the top teams, the three teams at this moment in time, who are who are chasing that chasing that, that title. Move the ball quick. The defenders don't overplay. And we've got players who overplay, who are believing the hype. That's the problem. Two of them in that back line are believing the hype. Get back to basics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And that's the key, really, for the other players, right? Because, I mean, the the next two performances, Villarreal and Chelsea, um, which we'll be back to talk about next week, those are the players, those are the games, those players are now going to have to step up and sort of say, oh, no, we were being held back by the manager. A lot of those players are going to need big performances, right?
0: Yeah, of course they are, and then, and then and they wouldn't be. In, they weren't being held back in certain ways. They mostly weren't <clears throat> maybe being pushed hard enough to be, perfectly on this honest, in a positive manner. I'm doing again game. I'm I'm doing a game for, um, for Talk Sport tomorrow night. So you know, I'm looking forward to. It. I want. I'm looking to see what kind of changes are going to be made.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess that's it for now. Um, we've. I think covered everything as comprehensively as we can. There are a couple of comments coming in. I mean, um, Patrick says the Glazers are one thing, but unless the executive management team, Woodward Arnold, are removed, this this will keep going round in circles. They should not be the one signing off. Um strategy. Yeah, I mean we said that earlier on. They, they don't understand how to completely oversee a massive football operation. They're out of depth and Paul thing repeat themselves. Yeah, that's the exactly the concern that I've got. Paul even said that about the contract renewals just, just a moment ago. Just want to end on um, Dan's comment as well, where he says, um, good morning all, wishing everyone well, aside from the fact these owners have ruined our club. I love Ollie and he won't ever be forgotten legend, that I think. That's a, a good note to end it on. I'm um, you know, i I'm, I'm good that he's gone. I'm good that it didn't work out. Um, I love him. Um, I love him in terms of what he did for us as a player. Um, I have a lot of respect for the job that he took on as a manager because it wasn't an easy situation. I have a lot of respect for the good work that he did do. And I hope that um, in the weeks and months, Um, that follow this that people have a greater appreciation for the good that he did because uh, there's been so much negative um, bile thrown at him that he didn't deserve in the last few weeks that I hope that there's a restoration not with a a revisionist hindsight kind of thing that the people just look on him a little bit more fairly and, and look at what he had to deal with and look at what he did. look at the stability i mean second place in the league third place in the league the best consecutive league finishes um but yeah the bottom fell out of it and and we move on and that's how how football is unfortunately um so holly again a part of our past but still a glorious part of our past and um still Absolutely a legend in my eyes, and I'm glad that the people who watch this show um, agree with that. I just want to say a little very, 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 very quick note before we go as well, because Paul said something earlier, and it made me th- really think about this. I, one thing that I love about doing this podcast is that we do it with the former players who have a, this affinity with the club, and for Paul to just bring up unprompted to talk about Wolf McGuinness, Um, shows how much he cares about the history of the club. And that's why I hope that this message comes across in these podcasts and these shows that we do, that the players really care about the club and they know the club inside out and they want the best for it. And they have such a deep understanding of what it means. Paul obviously did in terms of his success as a player, but to just hear him come out and talk about Wolf McGuinness is just makes me appreciate the fact that he comes on, that he come on Paul and talk to me about this, because it really, I mean, it's such a difficult um, 24, 48 hours for us as United fans, but to connect with a former player who really understands the club and and has got the, the best interests of it at heart, um, really means a lot to me as a fan because it makes me feel more connected at a time when um, a lot of us feel disconnected from it. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, really appreciate that. I just wanted to get that off my chest. And if you are listening on, on the audio podcast, please give us a nice rating or review if you enjoyed the, the podcast. I know it's difficult listening this morning, uh, but hopefully being a little bit more um, positive in forecasts for who, who might follow Wally. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe as well. We've got a lot of podcasts coming all the time and, and Paul and I will be ne- uh, here next week. To talk about how those Villarreal and Chelsea games go, and maybe we'll be here praising the players. Maybe we won't. Hopefully we'll be talking about some kind of a plan that the club have got in place. But I won't hold my breath. Um, we'll be back next week. Stay safe. Stay well. Thanks for listening and watching.
0: Away days are great,
1: but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with delivery.